but yeah, because um, history is 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 very very important uh, because it's you cannot, as said many times by others, you cannot know where you're going unless you know where you've been. Okay. And it's a long, long struggle for a lot of groups, not just African Americans or, or blacks, coloreds in those days, in, in this country or in, in many any other countries. Um, Kent County, as a community, um, when I graduated from high school and, and I went to the U.S. Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut, um, I would say very often that uh, Kent County is like growing up in the middle of Alabama right. or Mississippi. Although the, we didn't have lynchings here. The nearest lynching was in Cambridge. Okay. Um, there's, still, there's still a lot of things that go on, go on here and a lot of the attitudes still have not changed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Even in the political rhetoric. But getting back to uh, 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 the schools, the educational system here, um, my mother was approached, I would say, in my somewhere when I was in high school, uh, and, and was approached by some and asked for her to send me to Chestertown High School, which is a white high school. We had four high schools in this county. Only one was 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 black, and I don't want to say predominantly black. It was black. Um, my mother, who grew up in Ohio, mm -hmm. was valedictorian of her high school class. Mm -hmm. um, actually, did not encourage me one way or the other, and so I did not go uh, to that school because I did not see. For me, and any advantage that I would gain. Right. Understand that by the time I was a senior at, at Garnett High School, uh, I was president of, of the student body. Mm -hmm. I was the captain of all the sports teams, president of the athletic team. I was an, an officer in just about every act, every activity open to boys at that, that time. So in essence, I was, I was a BMOC, big man on campus. Uh, it was good. There were many things that I later discovered when I went to the U.S. Coast Guard Academy that were short in my educational experience. Okay. Okay. Um, when I went to the Coast Guard Academy, one of the things, one of the first classes I took was uh, uh, analytical geometry which is not so bad in and of itself. I never even had trigonometry. Okay. See? So there are many things in, in our my educational experience in secondary school were, were lacking uh, for, for whatever reason. I don't know what. You know, taking, a, you know, I, in the yearbook it says that I would like to be a, a theoretical nuclear physicist. And a physicist. I flunked physics one at the Coast Guard Academy. Okay. Those are the things where you look at uh, intellectually. Now, I understand the Coast Guard Academy is a little different than a lot of schools. Uh, when you're uh, thrown in with uh, 300 or so other 
big men on BMOCs from around the nation, uh, it made, it makes a difference. And especially when I was also the only African-American in, in my class. I was the fourth African-American to graduate from the Coast Guard Academy. Uh, but understanding all through those four years, uh, it was rare that I experienced any racial animosity. But there was some, but, uh, but not, a, not a whole lot. Uh, but this this county um, in 64, 1964, uh, the civil rights movement, you know, sit-ins, demonstrations, et cetera, came to the county. Um, the uh, issue that I had with it, and I did not participate because the group decided they wanted to pick it actually was a bar okay. on the, at the top of High Street. Why would I participate in integrating a bar where I can't even go into? Didn't make sense. There are other, other areas in this, in this town that uh, none of the stores downtown in those days, they were, you know, this was the major retail area, would hire black clerks. Okay. Uh, so there was, there, banks were, were, were predominantly white, as they still are for the most part, there are very few African American tellers and things, very few African American uh, retail clerks in this in the, in this community or anywhere in the county. So, if you look at that on the surface, it looks like very little has changed here. Mm-hmm. What has changed here is uh, m- many of the ad- attitudes, the social attitudes, and those attitudes were changed primarily by those who have come here not those who are indigenous to this community. Okay. If you go to some of the activities, the, uh, the monthly, what's that called? The monthly meeting you have at Bethel Church, uh, you look at who's, who's there. Uh, yeah, many of the homegrown, so, so to speak, African-Americans are there, but look at the white individuals who participate. Very f- few and rarely are they from here originally. So, so if you look at in, in things like that, you look at who the activities are. Uh, very seldom are if those who go to our, our local cultural outlet, the, the Prince Theater or the Garfield Center. Uh, most of the most of the uh, patrons there, um, other than the African American, usually are those who who have come here, not from here. So there is a there is a disconnect between the indigenous popu- white population and the community at large. Okay. Um, Do you think that you would have been better prepared for the um, the tertiary education if you had gone to Prescott County College? No. Okay. The, the, one of the problems of being a trailblazer is you're actually alone okay uh, I'm not would not have gotten I am confident I would not have gotten the uh, that uh, support from the guidance staff or the faculty or I mean there may be one or two but not general this community was very divided racially in mind spirit and body okay and if in, in a lot of ways, it has not healed completely there. 
there's never been a, a really significant uh, racial dialogue here at all. Because you don't have the indigenous population being involved. Right. So things like the diversity dialogue you were sharing. Yeah, they're from folks who are not from here. Huh. Very well-meaning, very sincere. I'm not, I'm not diminishing that. What I'm just saying is that when you look at the community as a whole, uh, there are some disconnects there. So, like I said, we talked earlier about the uh, uh, the black enterprises and black businesses that we that we had, and uh, so that was a problem. And this is this is this is actually the norm in many parts of the country. In uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, there was a huge you know the black renaissance in there until the riots that the whites burned down the black businesses. So, you know, you have those things that go on throughout our country. And it things, not necessarily the violence, but it did, it does occur. Um, this community um, was not, in my view, overtly racist, but was prejudiced in the fact that you were still treated less than a human being, not with full rights and privileges thereof. So no one running, run, running around the streets, mobs or anything else, lynching people or yelling uh, uh, for the purpose of this, nigger or anything else. It wasn't done here. But you still couldn't get a job where you needed to be, where you were qualified. So many of the African Americans in the community, adults, in order to sustain their families, they would go, as we would say, work up the line, which means you go to Delaware to, to, uh, to get a job. For be you a plumber, a mason, uh, working in any of the, uh, in the factories there in, in, uh, in the northern part of, part, of, part of Delaware. There were no jobs here other than uh, two processing plants that were located here. One was called Vita Foods, owned by Vita Foods, which was a pickle pickle processing facility. And that was always the threat. <laughs> if you don't behave, you're going to wind up at Vita Foods. Who was threatening? Oh, <laughs> my mother. <laughs> For the most part. Did and, teachers ever use that? Oh, no. no, no. Mom. Yeah. Okay. And also the other major black employer here was uh, Campbell Soup, uh, which was a chicken processing uh, facility there. Um, and so, and and many of the individuals who worked there put their kids through school, and, and so they did very, very well, relatively speaking, uh, for for the, this community. Uh, we did did uh, and still do have a, a minority-owned uh, bus company, motor coach company, Dorsey Bus Bus Company, which my mother at one time was a, one of their school bus drivers. Uh, so. Those are the type of things we do. And like I said, that's, that still exists. Uh, there are some independent individuals, garage, mm -hmm. mechanics, etc., cetera, barbershops. But the plethora of, of black businesses that were, not saying a large number, but there was a significant number, have ceased to exist. And now in Chestertown, the county seat, uh, uh, African Americans have been displaced through gentrification. Uh, which occurs throughout this country, uh, unfortunately, um, to a lot of ways. So, you know, so the African-Americans are displaced. 
to a point where uh, you can see their movement, uh, our movement, in the upper high street area, even to the point where uh, um, we have even a predominantly African-American uh, housing development, actually rental housing, out in the Fairley area. So, unfortunately, you have uh, many African Americans, which are uh, uh, lower class to lower middle class, um, are there for uh, Section 8 housing, etc. But there's no transportation system. There's no, there are no gas stations. There is no convenience store nearby. So they're out there. Okay, and that's see, and that is, in my view, that's very indicative of the racial insens insensitivity of those that, that do these things. I'm going to take you back to childhood for a little bit. Um, how far away was your home from the high school? Was your 15 miles. 15 miles. How did you get there? My mother was a bus driver. Yeah. Okay. We all drove, everyone drove the bus, and there were separate bus systems. Mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't an integrated bus system. Uh, with one high school at that time, uh, there, black high school, there were, I think, four black elementary schools. Mm -hmm. And they all wound up in the high school. In high school in those days started seventh grade. There was no kindergarten. There was no preschool. There was no junior high. You were in elementary school or you were in high school. So I say jo jokingly, you know, uh, it wasn't until I got to seventh grade, which in the high school, that I realized that a yardstick was for measuring. <laughs> As opposed to? Well, I will say this way. Uh, my second, first and second grade teacher, Emmeline Wally, who lived in the community just down the road from the school, uh, every Monday morning she would pick uh, two boys in the second grade and give them a penknife. They'd go down to her yard to cut pair switches. So by Friday, they were usually all gone. That was not a different time and not necessarily bad. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, not going to get into philosophy on raising children and right. things like that, but not necessarily bad because that was the norm and was expected not only by the system, but also by the parents because right. we were a community. Sure. And your community was also a, a part of that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, so that's one of the things that uh, was very advantageous in the development of black youth in our community with integration and other parts, forces in our society that has disappeared. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, so now we have children raising children. Okay. But uh, the dirt road... Walking. I mean, I remember even at the sixth grade, in the springtime, one of the local farmers would come to the school, and Irving Hamilton with sixth grade boys, a group of boys, would go with the farmer in his truck. We'd go out and plant tomatoes at $1.25 an hour, which was the minimum wage at that time. Now, you say, well, he's taking kids from school and interfering with education, but this is sustenance. This was our livelihood. This is how our family survived. Okay. And the older black men would be the ones who do the shovel, dig the hole, and we 
stick the plant and tomato plant in the in the ground and of course that summer employment was picking tomatoes etc for for many black youth in in our community did you pick tomatoes no i never did i worked in the kitchen with my father who was a chef okay so you did cook my father was a chef i was <laughs> I, I, I was a cook too as a matter of fact he gave me my first job which was washing dishes Probably around ten. Yeah, it was not unusual uh, for uh, for having a a, a family in working that, but it was uh, now understand that YMCA Camp Takwa, where I was born and, and raised, was a segregated camp. Mm-hmm. Okay, operated by the Wilmington Delaware YMCA because we were. To we lived there on the property. My, my father was a caretaker, so in the wintertime he had things to do. I had very, very little interaction with the African-American community in the county at large. I would, we would come into town every now and then, you know, go get a haircut. Uh, and that's basically it. So most of my interaction with with youth of my age were white. Uh, so I, uh, in essence, I pretty much grew up with white middle class values. You know, my parents moved here two years before I was born from Ohio. Did you know, you from Ohio? Uh, it, ultimately, my father was born in Kentucky. Okay. Uh, but uh, from Ohio, my mother was raised on a farm. I, Grandfather owned the farm in central Ohio. So, you know, things were had a very, very different attitude uh, in my upbringing. Um, so I really never interacted extensively with African-American youth until I went to the first grade and I had my first fight. <laughs> Did you win? I don't know. I was choking. <laughs> who is now my best, who is now my best friend, uh, my best friend, but, you know, in those days, you know, I was an outsider. It was a little different and different, different, different values, different perspective on things. Um, but one of the things that we found that through the educational process uh, um, at Coleman, uh, Coleman had a, a uh, little corner store, Elliot's it was called, a white, a white family. Uh, very seldom would we go in there. They, you know, there was no need to it and never experienced any racial animosity from the proprietors. Whether or not they were or not, I don't know. Never did. Um, my family had, I think, uh, a, a significant amount of respect from both sides of the, of the racial divide mm-hmm. in that time. Um, uh, my mother uh, started uh, a 4-H unit, the only African-American 4-H unit here in, in Kent County. So I was a 4-H'er to start with. Um, so the advantage of growing up on, on YMCA Camp Takwa for me was it allowed me at, during my developmental years an opportunity because the camp staff would allow me to participate in all the activities. So I was sailing and racing sailboats since I was six years old, canoeing, kayaking, archery, riflery, French, everything that any of the other white campers would do, I could do too. Mm-hmm. 
In addition to that, because they were it's a boarding camp, the parents ne- normally during the summer, and this is how it worked, the kids would send the kids to camp and they'd go off to Europe. Mm-hmm. So we'd sit around the cabin and they, they'd read the letters from their parents in Greece. So uh, in a way, kind of by osmosis, actually experience the things that they were experiencing too. Uh, so, uh, you know, which is where I, I learned to play chess. Uh, I learned a lot of things, those activities and things. So it also developed a, a vision of there's more than just Kent County. Mm-hmm. Now, understanding during that period of time, until I graduated from high school, I had never seen the ocean. Never seen the ocean. Until, well, actually, my senior year, we took a field trip to Wallops Island, Virginia was the first time. But I never didn't get too close to the ocean. We were in the bunker watching the rockets. But uh, So not until I went to the Coast Guard Academy that I even put my, my toes in an ocean. So, or, so you don't get those experiences here. Uh, skiing, snow skiing, or even water skiing. I mean, I, I was a water skier, too, from, from the camp. You know, learned how to swim when other African Americans in our community couldn't go into a, a swimming pool. So, so I had many of the advantages that others did did not. Uh, but some of the disadvantages of, of probably not being able to develop intellectually as I probably could or should. When you were in high school and when you chose not to participate with some of the movement. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. Not really. Uh, we did not. Uh, the problem is again, the movement at that time, as when it came here, failed to connect it with those things that were really affected the African American student. Okay, Cambridge, on the other hand, had a much more robust. Uh, uh, activities in, in their protests and demonstrations, uh, Easton to a, to a lesser extent. Um, but understanding that here on the Eastern Shore, this is the Delmarva Peninsula, and that Delaware, Maryland, the District of Columbia were slave areas. They were never emancipated until the 14th Amendment. Never. Okay. So, uh, you know. Uh, Can I talk a little bit more about that? Well, the Emancipation Proclamation, if those who, des- who desire to really read it carefully, uh, did not free all the slaves. It freed those slaves that from those areas in the nation that were in rebellion. In fact, it exempted, uh, even though Virginia was in rebellion, it re- exempted some counties in in Virginia, which are now West Virginia, some parishes in Louisiana. So it was very precise in what it, what the President Abraham Lincoln wanted to do. In my view, uh, uh, it was a really a politically international politics uh, way of keeping England out of the Civil War on the side of the Confederacy, which they were very interested in coming back in. So it's, it served a, an international political purpose. It, it served another political purpose to, to the Confederacy to demonstrate that 
yes, the union still has control over what you do. Okay. But there was no, to me, overt uh, desire by President Lincoln's administration or any other administration for that matter to have equality among the races at all. And you think that affected the development of the story? Oh, absolutely. 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 Very much so. Um, one of the notorious um, um, group gang, actually it was a family, who would capture runaway slave were right over in Bridgetown, Delaware. Okay. Um, so, you know, and coupled with that, uh, the story goes, when the Maryland General Assembly was debating whether or not to succeed from the Union, the Speaker of the House adjourned the House of Delegates rather than hold the vote because he knew he would lose and Maryland would secede. Mm -hmm. The story goes that at that time, there those sympathizers here in, in the Eastern Shore decided since Maryland wouldn't secede from the Union, they would secede from Maryland. Uh, so the report is that the, uh, the Secretary of War at that time sent a company of Union Cavalry to the Eastern Shore to keep the Eastern Shore part of Maryland. So there were a lot of sympathies in, in Maryland. can be demonstrated right here in our community in Monument Park here in, in, in Chestertown. There's a monument to those who fought in the, in, in the Civil War. And the names of those who fought on the Confederate side far outnumber the names of those who fought on the Union side. And none of them on the original monument were African American, which had to come back, come later, which was done, oh, maybe 20, 25 years ago. An obelisk was, was, was dedicated. Uh, those attitudes, and that even had um, resistance, that obelisk. Uh, we currently have, uh, uh, I said earlier about Elmer T. Hawkins being a principal stalwart in our community and, and, and fighting for equal rights and, and our equal education. Um, there was a group, which I was a part of, who, who desired to, why not have, uh, in honor of Elmer T. Hawkins, rename one of the streets uh, uh, after him. Uh, we recommended uh, primarily College Avenue that ran through a predominantly black community. We could not get support from uh, uh, the local town council. As a matter of fact, even the town councilman who represented district did not even sponsor uh, any legislation to do that. So what ultimately happened was a housing, little uh, workforce housing development at the Upper High Street was uh, renovated and the uh, builders and the developers at the time decided to name one of those streets after Elmer T. Hawkins. That's why they're not on, on behalf of the town of Chestertown. And this is the 21st century, so nothing has changed in that aspect. When you were in high school here, I understand that you lived just in Marlboro, so it might not be the case. Were there places where you felt uncomfortable or unwanted growing up? Rock Hall. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, tell me a little bit about that. Um, Rock Hall had, and in some ways still has, a, a, a reputation of, it's a very cloistered community. Primarily, that's our fishing industries. 
was was based there. They're watermen, so to speak, and they're family oriented, and and so uh, very very few African Americans live in Rock Hall property. They live just north of Rock Hall in an area called Eadsville or Sharptown. Okay, the suburbs of Rock Hall, so to so to speak. Um, so Rock Hall was not necessarily a a, a, a thriving metropolis of uh, of cultural activity, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, that was that was uncomfortable. Also, that time in many of our beaches in Betterton and Tallchester, which were tourist attractions at that time, there was a there was a uh, uh, roller coasters, etc. At, at Tallchester Beach, uh, segregated. Okay, uh, Betterton segregated unless you worked, you know, as a servant at one of the facilities there, the places there. It's the northern part of the uh, northern part of the county. Uh, they used to have a a uh, day cruise vessel from from Baltimore would come up every day. The Bay Bell was called. Uh, every, every bringing tourists there, uh, so it was a very popular place at, during that during that day. So was Tallchester, uh, but it's still a segregated area in this in this community. When you went to Going from a segregated school system to being the only African American in a military structure, although there were two other African Americans there at the time, they were two years above me, and the way the military structure works, we could not associate. Um, it was very different, but because I think because of my upbringing. At the, at the YMCA camp, and then my friend, first best friend was white, who was the camp director's son. Mm -hmm. um, I could relate to many of the things there. Um, I think they had, a, many of my classmates had a hard time relating to me than I to them. Okay. Uh, because uh, we listened to, when he had an opportunity, we had listened to different music that danced differently. It, at one point, even as a, as a freshman, um, we had required dance classes. So eventually the instructor, uh, social director, had me teaching my classmates how to dance. Because uh, here's how, how forward-thinking our educational system was. Coleman Elementary School, we had dance classes where I learned how to waltz, how to foxtrot, all of those classes. All of those dances were taught at the elementary school level. Little did I know that many years later it would be very, very useful for them. Speaking of music, did you ever um, frequent the Uptown Club? Yes. Well, the Uptown Club, that and one other smaller club on Cannon Street. Do you remember that one? Um, I can't remember. Being underage, I couldn't go in there, <laughs> so to speak. But the Uptown Club... Uh, which was right across Caddy Corner across from the from the high school, provided an opportunity for uh, for those in the community and even the youth to do a lot of things. They had a restaurant, and uh, there they also had a club nightclub, which you can go into. But when you are an athlete, for example, and you Classes are over and you're waiting for the game to start. Mm -hmm. 
what are you going to do? You go across the street to the Uptown Club to have something to eat if you can if you can afford it. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the activity. Um, when I became older, you know, that was the Uptown Club was very unique in itself. That it was part of, I'll say, what was it was called the Chidlin Circuit. Okay. And uh, you, know, you know, James Brown was there, um, uh, Martha White, uh, all of the uh, big name African American musicians stopped by the uh, the uh, Uptown Club, as they did with the uh, Charles Sumner uh, Hall yeah. in, in, in its day. Uh, so we saw all those folks, and when the when the Uptown Club was too small to handle the crowd, black. We even got the the armory out now to to host it out, out there, you know. Um, so we had a very very uh, active uh, entertainment. Uh, the movie theater, on the other hand, was uh, fifty cents to go to a movie, but you had to sit, sit in the balcony, which I saw my first movie there in the balcony. In the balcony. To me, it was fine. It didn't make any difference to me because if you're taking a date to the movie, that's where you want to sit <laughs> in, the, in the balcony. Uh, so, uh, so that was uh, that was one of the things that you did you did have to do. Um, many of the restaurants, uh, for example, when the uh, when a Tasty Freeze, which was an ice cream parlor, opened here, uh, out, just the outskirts of town. Um, they had table service inside. Couldn't go in. My first time going there, I think I was probably 17 or so. I walked inside and asked uh, what I wanted. And the girl at the counter said, I can't wait on you here. I'll wait on you outside. And I told her, you can't wait on me ever. And I have not been in that building since, even though it's changed. What, what the, it? What's the it's called the freeze. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so then when you went up north, Socially, were those things different? No. It, let's say this way. Um, in Connecticut, New London, Connecticut, which is a Navy town, mm-hmm. um, racial animosity still exists, but at a different level. Okay. okay. Um, as a cadet, I didn't have a lot of opportunities to go out in among the town uh, a lot. So, you know... Uh, We'd go down to uh, uh, the local grinder. That's New England's version of a submarine. You know, walk in, get what I wanted, and walk out. And it was not a problem. I didn't have a whole lot of time. Didn't have a whole lot of money either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that didn't have an opportunity to do a lot of a lot of things there. The academy in itself, uh, the administration, the faculty, I think, did an awful lot to uh, make me feel comfortable. Uh, there were some stereotypical things that they had to get over that uh, just because I'm an African American male doesn't mean I'm a good basketball player okay, or a good football player. I never played football until I went to the academy. I was a soccer player. Yeah, so I mean there's some things like that and the three African American who preceded me at the academy were better athletes than I. Than I. So uh, so you had the, those type situations, and then you, and, and so when you, and I remember one of the uh, um, priests there at the academy uh, really 
showed an interest and he asked me and approached me about, uh, you know, would you like to go to a church in the community? You know, a chapel, required chapel in those days. And I said, sure. And so he encouraged me to go to one of the African-American churches there in the community where eventually I met my first wife. But that's, that's a whole other story. But so, and, 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 and experiencing through her and her, her family um, a lot of the things like in Connecticut that were not, uh, were similar but, but different, for, like I say, much more benign in, in their approach. Well, what were the years that you were there? Uh, from 1966, and I graduated from the academy in 1970. Hmm. Hmm. Um, what did you do after? Well, when I graduated from the academy, uh, like all academy graduates in those days, I went to, uh, I was assigned to a ship in Boston. Uh, uh, I had volunteered to for a uh, an assignment to Vietnam, which was going on at that time. So, I say they sent me to another combat zone, Boston. Uh, I was a shipboard engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, sailed with uh, out of Boston for that for a year. I was assigned to a flight school in Pensacola, Florida, where I became a naval aviator. And going to Northwest Florida was another experience in and of itself during that period. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting. Even though Pensacola was a Navy town mm-hmm. and was could be considered very progressive, you know, Pensacola, Florida, Northwest Florida is like being in southeastern Alabama. Um, on ninth, North Ninth Street, they were demolishing a building. I understand this was in 1971, 72, demolishing a building. But they left one pillar standing. And on that pillar was written, colored entrance. Ironic, isn't it? But I graduated, uh, got my wings, became a Coast Guard aviator, okay. was assigned to uh, an air station in San Diego. From San Diego, I went to uh, an air station in <coughs> in Brooklyn, New York at that time, flying search and rescue helicopters. Uh, was an instructor at the National Search and Rescue School in New York. To, from there to uh, New Orleans, uh, to San Francisco, and then I became the... Uh, uh, chief or in charge of Coast Guard search and rescue operations for the Great Lakes, and then to, to Washington D.C., where I re- retired, and then flew, and got hired by U.S. Airways Express, flying a, as a pilot for U.S. Airways Express, primarily out of the Florida market for a couple of years. Maybe see the U.S. See the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was interesting because I had uh, collateral assignments, uh, temporary assignments with the Canadian Armed Forces, uh, with the Second Fleet out of Norfolk, where I sailed with the fleet on, in the Caribbean, in Germany, and a lot of other different places around uh, on, on assignments. Uh, uh, I left U.S. Airways Express uh, to accept a position at a small corporation in Washington D.C. Executive Vice President, primarily the Chief Financial Officer. When that was a very fortuitous opportunity for me because I wound up uh, marrying the owner and CEO who's my current wife for 20 years. I was going to ask you where you met. Yeah. Why did you decide to come back to the industry? Well, we were looking for a retirement home. I kept thinking about St. Croix. That's a great place to think about. (laughs) My wife, uh, who's originally from Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. really liked 
Chestertown because it reminded her of her favorite TV show, Mayberry. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we just, and it actually keeps the grandkids are closer. So we decided to to move here. I moved back. She moved here. And that's 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 how that that's the genesis of all that. Are you as busy in your retirement as you were before? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm currently not only retired from the Coast Guard after 22 years of active duty, uh, as currently is elected in 2002 as as a county commissioner, serving currently serving my third term. Um, but I uh, corporation I, I worked for worked in, worked for, uh, has uh, stopped operations, and I currently now am working for the Office of Management and Budget for the state of Delaware. Oh. So, yes. And I'm yeah. deputy director of a, one of the divisions, Government Support Services. Okay. So. Do you have children? We have uh, two children, uh, our oldest daughter, who is, has the grandkids, and my youngest son, who is getting ready getting prepared to go to uh, University of Las Vegas, the University of Nevada in Las Vegas, where they'll be. I am quite sure what he's trying <laughs> to do, trying to find himself. I think it's going to be an information system, so okay. primarily. It sounds like as you were growing up, you were sort of shaped by um, the choices your parents made, so the parents mm-hmm. that you grew up in. But it seems like your mom had a really strong influence on how you came out. Did I read that right? You put that mildly, <laughs> I, know, I would say. My mother, uh, let me take back. My father graduated in 1890, uh, was born in 1899. He, I think he got as far as the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. My mother was valedictorian of her high school class in Ohio. My mother died when she was 92, and to the day she died, regardless of the number of degrees I have, I was never able to beat her at a game of Scrabble. Uh, reading was, as I say, old commercial, reading was fundamental in my family. Um, we did not, we were, we were, I thought we were doing great. We were actually very poor, but I never really experienced poverty, per se. It was not, it was the norm to, oh yeah, I get my brother's hand-me-down clothes and shoes and no thought of it. Because there wasn't the peer pressure to have the the Nikes, or it didn't exist in those days. Um, so everyone in 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 the, in the elementary school and the school system was cut from the same cloth, so to speak. So, but my family uh, uh, really, really valued, um, what you could say, a experience by uh, osmosis. Not only the people that you interact with at the at the camp, but I had uh, a subscription to any family magazine you could probably think of: the Time magazine, Newsweek, Saturday Evening Post, and read them cover to cover. So that, in turn, allowed me to experience uh, things from around the world. National Geographic, for example, I couldn't look at the ones that had. The, the pictures of women that didn't have uh, any tops on. I mean, they were taken away, away from me. We were a very religious family. I was raised as a Pentecost, in a Pentecostal church. Um, so, and, you know, because we, th- the expectations were not there. 
the greatest thing we could have in 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 the winter time, late fall, was when, when the Sears catalog, Christmas catalog, came. We'd go through the catalog and look at, oh yeah, I like this toy, I like this toy. Never, never asking my parents, I want this one. Mm-hmm. Never. That was never thought of. That's right. Uh, but yes, we all. My brother got a bicycle. I didn't get a bicycle. He beat me up if I tried to buy it. But you know, I had uh, opportunities in myself. I know I had uh, uh, little space fort uh, sets and uh, figurines that, in those days, had to go out in the in the driveway in the dirt and to play and to and to dream. I, because we were at the camp and the camp was closed during the winter time, we had access to 392 acres. So I and my dogs and my my rifle or shotgun, and off we go into the woods. And nothing was thought of it as long as I was home by dinner time. Mm-hmm. And you had your chores to do, and et cetera, like most kids in this in this community. Uh, so I had those those experiences to do. Never thought, you know, there was. I don't think my parents or my mother. My father died when I was 12. Uh, thought about, well, my son is off in the woods by himself. Wow. No. That was not that time uh, in our society of that time. You know, we, good time. We hunted. We fished. Uh, hunting and fishing were not a hobby. They were sustenance mm-hmm. Okay, uh, at that time. Uh, I don't hunt or fish now because I discovered the supermarket. Okay. Um, you seem as if you are a sort of an introverted person, even though you are in public life. You're good. <laughs> how does that How does that work for you? Because of the way the way I was, I grew up. Uh, my nearest sibling was five years older than me. Uh, I had the advantage from him when he was going to elementary school, the same elementary school. When he would come home, he would teach me the lessons he learned. So I learned to read and write and arithmetic all much earlier than, than a lot. But because of that difference in age and because of where I was raised and a lack of, a lack of interaction with, uh, with many people, uh, in essence, I became a, a loner. Uh, so and being very comfortable with that, so I can create my own world, so to speak. Um, the outward facade is is purposeful. Uh, entering into the public arena have, fulfills many many goals for me. Uh, one of Things is it was instilled into me at a very early age the sense of public involvement, public service. My mother was very, very active in the community. She was one of those people who would not say no. Starting the 4-H club and helping youth and doing these things with the church and the community, etc. Um, that was also part of this too. Then going in the Coast Guard, which is really a public service to me, trying to save people's lives. Uh, that, and then coming here, and the reason to get involved with the local politics, it's primarily uh, what I saw as a governmental structure 
that had a tendency to be insensitive, not overtly, not by design, but by neglect. Um, I was, since I was in business at that particular time when we first moved here, uh, I attended uh, one of the county's economic development council's meetings, committee's meetings. Only spectator there. When the meeting, they were talking about the price of soybeans or oats and whatever, it didn't make any difference to me. When the meeting was over, one of the members came down and asked me, who are you and why are you here? Which really irritated me. And I told him at that time, it's because I'm a citizen, I have the right to be here. So I saw things like that going on in around the county. The African American community were not engaged in those things that affect their lives every day. Uh, so, uh, if you could say I got pissed off and I, that's why I got involved. And I got involved that way. That way. I was primarily interested in, uh, concerned about the educational system. I really was interested in running for the Board of Education. But many of my advisors and friends uh, in, in discussion real, uh, persuaded me that I have a much broader view than that, so I should run for county commissioner, which I did, and won, overwhelmingly. <laughs> so that sense of, 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 of public involvement has always been there underneath. Upon entering office in 2002, uh, discovering a, a county government that was doing a lot of things very well, but not in the 20th century. Okay. So, you know, uh, the, my first the first meeting with the department heads of the county, I said, uh, let me back up some. Uh, I was elected three county commissioners. I was elected the only Democrat with two Republicans and those two Republicans uh, elected me the president of the county commissioners. Uh, so the first meeting with the, with the uh, county staff, I said, first off, start out right. The wrong answer to a question is, that's the way we've always done it. Okay. So I set out to actually break the stranglehold of good old boy network. So, there are things that you may, we may do that we've always done this way, and it's the best way to do it, but we should know why. So, some lot of things to bring. We set out to upgrade our, our, our IT infrastructure. It was woefully lacking. Still is, but we're getting there. So, those are things that bring new processes. Uh, one of the things I should say that the company I work for as CFO was uh, a company that did business process reengineering. Oh. Okay. Uh, so, we, so bringing some of those quote lessons learned to county government uh, was one of the goals that I, that I had. Uh, fortunately, I was also paired with uh, uh, two other county commissioners who were also newly elected, who also had a very a, a good vision. Of, of what they wanted to do, and we set out to put some of those things in place. Uh, under the, the idea that change in a county like Kent 
should be evolutionary, not revolutionary. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and that's why when you can convince the, the voting public of there may be a better way of doing it, maybe a more efficient way of doing it, let's try to see it. And if you have a cogent argument, you usually will prevail. Okay. Usually. <laughs> okay. And that, and that even that even ventured off into uh, you know, and I remember uh, first being when it first went in office, even with Washington College, which is uh, one of the major employers in our in our community. It's also a, a, the premier intellectual outlet for our community. But they did not identify themselves as part of the community. Washington College in Chestertown, not part of Kent County. So I had to remind each president on to say, if you look at the scepter that is carried during graduation, the bottom of the scepter, there's a seal on there. The seal is of Kent County, not Chestertown. Okay? It just happened to be located. So that's important to be part of the community. And various presidents have done you know, one thing or another whether their involvement with the community to one extent or another, and that's up to them because it is a private institution. Mm -hmm. But they are part of the community. They are a major, major, major employer. It does cause me to pause in the fact that I don't see anyone who looks like me in the college's administration. Okay, I don't. Uh, you know, whatever that, make for whatever it means. Same as I don't see, you know, uh, same thing in our other retail establishment. A lot of, uh, uh, I, I'll use the term affirmative action, but that's not what I uh, mean. So uh, our community has its difficulties there. Not saying the Washington College is not doing everything they can or great thing, but just looking at perception. Um, our, our other our major employer, Dixon Valve here, um, uh, uh, Mr. Dick Goodall is a very forward-thinking individual. Uh, we may not necessarily agree politically, but a very forward-thinking individual is a very successful businessman. I want him to be successful. And he's trying very hard to make our educational, local educational system the best it can be. Okay. Um, now, understand, there is a purpose here. Businessmen normally don't do things unless there's going to be a out desired outcome. Dixon Valve needs employees that have skills. Yeah. Our school system doesn't necessarily produce those type of skills. Uh, okay, so it's, it's really a, a, a difficult to match. Uh, uh, one of the other functions I have right now is I'm also chair of the Upper Shore Regional Council, which is uh, the government's local government, both county and municipal, of Cecil, Kent, and Queen Anne's County which is primarily an economic development. Uh, workforce development is one of our strategic goals. And workforce development is another one of those things that has to be evolutionary, not revolutionary. We're not going to produce a technician tomorrow. Right. It takes time to train. Mm -hmm. our, our community colleges become part of that. Washington College is a part of that. And our secondary educational system becomes part of it if they so desire. Our vote, our, our vote tech programs, in all three counties, is anemic. Okay. Uh, not by design, by finance. 
Votech is a very, very capital intensive. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to get most of what you can do. So we have that in our community. But again, we do not have significant African-American employment within our community. That has been throughout the time that I've been alive. Okay. Um, we have problems. Uh, we don't have significant employment in the county for anyone, for that matter. That's really also an issue. But for African Americans especially, it's difficult for those who are entrepreneurs to get a... Uh, a foothold. Uh, one of the things that traditionally has been for African American entrepreneurs is the access to capital. We don't have access to capital as readily as, as some others. Um, our lending system in the country is, is, is geared toward those if you've been successful I'll, I'll lend you money. Okay. And with the uh, you know, and the state of Maryland and the federal government are, I would say, unreliable funding sources for a lot of different reasons. Okay. It almost takes us full circle right back to the 64 when the Civil Rights Act was passed and some of the problems that you're mentioning. If um, you could give a prescription, no matter how fantastic it might seem, <laughs> that might go towards realizing some of the dreams of I would say one of the things is um, um, most people are very familiar with uh, Martin Luther King's speech uh, during the March on Washington mm -hmm. and what his dream was. Mm -hmm. His dream will never be realized in this country under his current mode of operation, politically, financially, socially. It will not. We have a, a, a system that is not necessarily broken, but needs some TLC, some tender loving care. We can start with our educational system, not advocating segregation at all. But I am advocating that we have to do something about our educational system, not to produce, unfortunately, uh, every child should go to college. No. Every child should have an opportunity to go to college, but we should produce at the end of the pipeline the best citizen that we can provide. Okay. We're not doing that. Okay. We're not doing things that will enhance the economic viability of our community. Ken County currently has oh, about 27% of our population of 21,000 over the age of 60. 21,000, but we only have 2,000 kids in our school. 46% of the county's budget goes to their education. Not saying we should scrimp on that one way or the other, but understand where our priorities are, are lying. Uh, so we have to do that. That's where it starts. It starts really educational process. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, if we do not teach our kids how to succeed, and I mean really succeed in life, not produce the next widget, but how to succeed, how to understand our financial system, how to understand our economic system, 
how I understand our legal system. Our school system, just a, a small note, our school system it, throughout the country, we teach our kids in social studies or civics, wherever you want to call it, about the Constitution and Congress. That doesn't affect their lives every day. They don't learn about the county commissioners or the, or the city council or the mayor or the sheriff or the dog catcher, for that matter, mm -hmm. those things. So they're, they don't understand what's going on because so, they have no connection until something happens. Okay, So to make this country, to realize that dream, we have to look at the very basics of giving our, our people an opportunity to get the best education they can from the best school system that we can with qualified teachers, not highly skilled teachers. Okay, I'm not talking about highly skilled teachers because teaching is an art not a science. Okay, when you say we got to have these performance measures, not against performance measures, but we're not turning out widgets, we're not turning out cars, we're not turning out light bulbs. These are human beings. Every human being. And we have to look at that. We also have to look at our educational system and all of our, our system holistically. We can't look at one thing or another. It has to be holistically how our community does things and shapes itself. To say that, oh, well, I'm here and I want to uh, build a wall around Kent County and uh, and uh, no, nothing should change is a prescription for death. Okay. Uh, I sometimes, especially when I'm talking with those who are uh, in state government and outside the, of Kent County, I say, you know, Kent County, where it's located between Ceciling and Queen Anne's County, is like a Shangri-La. Okay, but even Shangri-La is a mythical place. Mm -hmm. This is not a mythical place, and and so to achieve those dreams, those are some of the things we can we can do. We have to look at situations as giving a, people uh, an opportunity. Uh, years ago, we say you know have give people an opportunity to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. First of all, they have to have boots to do that. Okay, so we have to do. It. Uh, and I do think that uh, uh, the way we educate our, not only our kids, but also our adults, too, okay, they have an opportunity. Training, uh, job training, changing your career training is very critical to our society. Otherwise, those, those individuals are lost and, we, and will be bypassed, and that will be a tragedy. I don't mean to preach. I don't mean to preach. No, thank you, and we really appreciate it, and I have a consent form.